This is the Interesting-ish Podcast, where I hope you listen long enough to say, this was pretty interesting-ish. My name is Rick Meyering. I'll find the interesting stories, and you keep listening. Stick with me, folks. I'm still talking myself through this. Alright, once I have recorded something, then I can save it and add it to an episode. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Interesting-ish podcast. It has been an interesting month for me as the host. My name is Rick Meyering and uh, I have just started down this podcast endeavor and got a great first episode out with my good friend Billy Lanford and uh, have been working through some of the kinks of how to do podcasting, microphones, We actually just spent about uh, 10 to 15 minutes testing microphones, and I'm back to my original recording scenario with a microphone coming out of the computer. I've got a backup on the Anchor app on my phone, and my guest, Andrew Vandenhuvel, has our third insurance policy recording on his phone. Welcome to the Interestingest Podcast. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) So... In adulthood, I'm finding that I am an introvert and I have a hard time making my adult friends as a 38-year-old. Yes. And I'm finding that I usually get those friends through my children's school experiences. Yeah, right. Um, So, yeah, we met each other a year ago. Um, We had some loose connections. Um, You had gone to the same high school as my wife. And um, I had known some of your brothers through youth ministry many years ago. Yep. An interesting story I have for, I think it was James mm-hmm. or Jeremy. Are they yeah. they're the twins? They're the twins. And they kind of co-opted being youth pastors or one would assist the other. And yep. so I had an adjacent church, uh, West End Christian Reform yeah. Church, and they were at West End. That's Jer. Yeah. Jer. And um, we were going on a mission trip somewhere. You know, the 15-passenger yes. church vans. Yes. And Jer wanted, like, a Sprite or a soda. So, yeah, I think he needed caffeine at the time. Yeah. And I was in the passenger seat of our 15-passenger van, and he calls somehow. This is, like, late 90s, so yeah. I don't know if they were, like, the big <laughs> the big phones yeah. with the extension deal. But uh, he somehow got a hold of us or yelled, and he's, like, got a popping. I felt so cool because I got to hand him a pop while driving wow. on the highway while my youth pastor kind of inched towards him and that's we reached out. and cool. It would have been a great Diet Coke commercial. Yeah. <laughs> so That's cool. Yeah. I can see why that one stuck, stuck with you. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> sure you that. have plenty of memories um, <laughs> of your own family. Yes. But uh, tell me a little bit about yourself in terms of... of of growing up in, in the Van and Hubel crew and uh, yeah. what got you interested in, in all things. Yeah. So, you know, being a Van and Hubel felt like it meant something when I was growing up. So I was the youngest of five boys. And so I felt like everywhere I went and school and otherwise, you know, people knew either who I was or knew my family before sure. I got there because my brothers had gone mm-hmm. through, you know, the same school system. And thankfully that was a good thing in our house. My brothers were, good guys and not troublemakers. So by the time I came along, um, teachers and, and other people in the community generally had a, I, I had a, I had sort of that leg up, right? People had a positive right. association. So I think that that was always something I enjoyed and appreciated going through school. Um, and we all got along great. I, it's kind of a weird spread of ages. My oldest brother is 12 years older than I am. Mm-hmm. That's Kiff. And um, my closest brother is six years older than I am, Ryan. So okay. I was the trailer by quite a ways. But I loved it. I mean, I loved having older brothers, you know, be able to watch older movies and just kind of do adult things. Yeah, um, you, you kind of had this. So the eldest brother being 12 years yeah. older, you had this span of um, had you been the oldest, you would be kind of pioneering some of these right. stuff. But these guys were like, yeah, hey, check this out. Oh, yeah. And it was you know, having older friends around. Um, and I think that played through all the way through school. For me, I really enjoyed being around older people, um, especially high school. You know, I just spent more time with the older students. Sure. And just kind of where I gravitated, I think, because of that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And what was school like for you? What are the things that started to pop up as 
um, hey, I like this. Yeah. I'm passionate about it. I was definitely the kind of student who uh, was like, if I can get a B and not really try at all, <laughs> that's better than getting an A and working really, really hard, right? Huh. So, and uh, I think part of that was being the youngest too. My parents, they didn't, they didn't put a lot of pressure on grades and at that point, it was kind of, you know, you're the fifth kid. Yeah. You know, you know, they're I'm pretty like, spent on how yeah, much yeah. energy they're putting into Yeah. It's like third grade. I'm like, I don't want to play baseball anymore. And they're like, great. We don't want to take <laughs> you to baseball. So I didn't get a lot of pushback on that kind of stuff. And um, so, but really sort of discovered my first interest and passion with, well, I don't know if you count dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. I think like when Jurassic Park came out, everybody wanted to be sure. a paleontologist, but um in middle school, eighth grade, at Cutlerville Christian, I had Tom Vanderlaan was my yes. science teacher. Good man. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And um, that was the first time I really learned about astronomy, and that just kind of really ignited a fire. I did really well, I think. I, I, I actually really remember the test. I, I, I got like a straight A on that test, like a 99%, and I've never, I don't even know if I studied. I just really ignited. Something was clicking yeah. there. Yep. And I was never much of a reader, but in um, kind of probably after my sophomore year of high school, I was super bored <laughs> in the summer. My brothers were all off in college and beyond, mm. and that was the time. Yeah, and that's a part of part of being the youngest is too. I just uh, was kind of the only for a while because my brothers were so much older. But it was during that summer that I started reading some astronomy books. I read. Um, uh, the fourth day, because my dad, that was the only astronomy book he ever knew, which okay. was a, a, written by a Calvin professor, that's where I went to school, um, which was a pretty boring book, but that was my first astronomy book, and I learned some stuff at a higher level, and then I read Cosmos by Carl Sagan, and that just, <laughs> that was it. I mean, that, he was unbelievable in his yeah. ability to, like, inspire and uh, write with this combination of, like, scientific accuracy, but also, like, uh, well, I mean, and I was so I'm I'm sitting here in your office looking out at Lake Michigan, right? Yeah. And this is um that was where I was reading was at our family cottage on Lake Michigan. Okay. And so I'm reading the stuff about you know we're just not, you know we're dipping our toes into the cosmic ocean, mm-hmm. ocean you know we're the um, we're just taking the first steps in this exploration in this new ocean of outer space. Um, that was the kind of language that Sagan wrote with, and so um, for me looking out over the the lake and walking on the beach and it was just a very like all this stuff was percolating and um so over a few years of, of high school I, I really absorbed a lot of books about astronomy and I think my freshman year of college I TA'd astronomy even though I'd never taken the course uh, as I a just, as a freshman you did I think so oh wow yeah so it was something where I just I I taught myself the, the basics you yeah know what I mean and so by the time I was a junior in high school, I was like astrophysicists, you know, yeah. like, that's it. Like that impresses people. <laughs> that <laughs> name sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. And I don't know what it means. Yeah. And, and so I went into the day I went into college, I was like, I'm going to major in physics, major in math, go to grad school in astronomy, mm-hmm. become an astronomer. That was it. And was there this. I mean, there, it sounds like there was this teaching component that certainly partnered. I mean, that may be a natural progression within that yeah. area, but what about that piece, the, the teaching piece? Was that right there next to it? Right. So, I mean, I, I ultimately became a teacher, and I think it was during, um, you know, during college I sort of realized that my, my professors sort of illustrated for me, there's kind of two, when you're a scientist, there's sort of two options. You can um, work for like a research organization where you do your own research part of the time and then you do research that's dictated to you the other part of the time, like whatever your responsibilities are. The alternative, which is really the vast majority of scientists, are, you know, professors. And so you do research part of the time and then you teach some classes. So really that is like the natural pathway is if you get your PhD as an astronomer or any other scientist, you're probably going to end up teaching at least some of the time. Yeah. And then I think, you know, part of it is I knew there are certain things. I was kind of a funny kid. I never dated. I knew <laughs> that, like, I wanted to, um, if I'm going to marry some, like, and part of the reason I didn't date anybody was because if, uh, if I knew before I went on a date or even on a first date that I wasn't going to marry that person, I'm, like, not interested. Huh. And I think part of the reason for that is, like, I never wanted to break up with somebody. Like, to me, that was, like, the worst yeah. thing imaginable. 
So all that is to say, I kind of knew that I wanted someone with similar values, with a similar background. I kind of knew I wanted to land close to family. And so that was where this notion of like teaching back at, at Calvin was really the goal. I mean, like I um, wasn't interested in being a professor at some random, you know, right. university. I, the goal was to come back and teach in West Michigan. You knew what you wanted. It was home-based. Yeah. It was your community-based. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And there's a long family tradition there. And so I just thought that was, um, yeah, so that was really the, the vision, the goal that I was going for. It's hard. Now that I look back on that, I'm like, boy, you just don't have control over those kind of things. No matter how hard you want it, you can't move. There's some things you just can't make happen. <laughs> if there's no job, you're like, you well, look, I was TAing as a freshman. Right. You guys have to have a position yeah. for it. Right, right, right. So your journey did take you out of state. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, you know, and I wasn't like an amazing student, right? Like I, okay. I you know, got A minuses, B pluses. But if you're going for competitive graduate programs, sure. you know, if you want to get into Harvard or University of Hawaii or the big or University of Arizona, the big astronomy schools you know, you've got to be knocking it out of the park. And um, so, you know, your fifth child, you're going through private, you know, uh, liberal arts college. Sure. You know, I was working a lot, making money. So I didn't, didn't, the grades ended up meaning I went to kind of like a tier two school. I ended up at the University of Florida and was getting my PhD there. And, um, but, and, and still on the glide path, you know, it's like, this is the path I'm going to get the PhD, do a postdoc, and then start looking for those teaching jobs, yeah. make my way back to Michigan. But then I was up visiting family after my, the summer after my first year of grad school, I just bought a house because I'm like, I'm going to be there for a while. And the Florida real estate was just out of control. Yeah. Um, and then connected with the woman who's now my wife, Laura, and we hit it off and I was just like... We, we met up at Camp Roger, which is where we had both worked. We knew each other, but we had never really talked to one another yeah. in any depth. And so we kind of, kind of kindled a, what became a long-distance relationship between us. And Because um, you had spent that summer at Camp Roger. No, I it was just – this was like a chance encounter. One night, and I'm up visiting family for three days, okay. and we happened to go to camp, and she happened to be there. Yeah. And so it really was like an amazing um, divine providence for us. So, yeah, and then so I was back because I was working back at the University of Florida all summer. Okay, yeah. And so, yeah, it was pretty quick, pretty quick, um, you know, within a month or two of us starting our relationship, I would say, like, that it was the notion that possibly leaving graduate school was on my radar. Okay, for and the sake of continuing sake of this relationship. relationship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is pretty profound because I was, I was, like, on that path hardcore yeah you know but uh so things progressed great and i ended up ended up um the possibility of transferring to grad schools up in michigan was an option but i was starting to get burned out on just what research means and mm. i uh teaching became more and more interesting to me and um for people who don't know what astronomers do, like people think you look through a telescope, you're, you're you know, <laughs> you're staring at pictures. Yeah, you're laying yeah. out on your back at night. It's you're listening like to that. Pink Floyd yeah, while you uh, exactly. look at this, the, the dome. I did that when I worked at a planetarium. But, yeah, yeah. Um, it's nothing like what astronomers do. Astronomers are writing, they're coding really like all day on computers. Okay. It's um, it was very. They're looking at extremely boring graphs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to like say how terrible it is, but it was it was that was the vast majority of what astronomers do is incredibly boring within I the think. within the research yes. arena. Of yeah. It. Okay. And I spent months on mountaintops at observatories, which mm -hmm. most astronomers never get to do. But the project I was on, um, we got to do that a lot. And I was working in a lab, working with my hands, so I had the best of the best yeah. for what I wanted, and I still wasn't really giving me much. <laughs> yeah, because what I have learned of you in some of our pre-talks is, um, you know, I don't know where this lands you in the, you know, personality type yeah. uh, or within the Enneagram field. Right. Um, but you have an achiever within yeah, you somewhere. Um, it, to the point that there's a rush to something new. And we'll get yes. into that a little bit more. But, yeah. um, you know, I talked with you about, you know, you wrote for Christianity Today. You yep. put an article out and... Yep. Uh, 
you were talking how they're sitting in your inbox right now saying, yeah. hey, we'd love more content. And you're right. like, ah, I've done that. Yeah. And so there's this lack of a rush to that now. That's an interesting. I've never actually thought about that with my history in astronomy. I, I actually will call myself sometimes a recovering astronomer because okay. I, I don't even go out and look at the stars. I don't break out the telescope. Almost never. Sure. Maybe with my kids. And, um, but so I, I discovered an asteroid in college kind of by accident, yeah. which was an amazing thing. And I got front page of the local, local newspaper and interviewed on TV. And it was just, I mean, that was an astronomer's experience, right? It's like you discovered something. <laughs> where and you do you attention, even, right? where do you go from here? Yeah. <laughs> and then in grad school, I was a part of a team that was hunting for extrasolar planets, planets that orbit other stars, which is like, to me, was the coolest research being done. Yeah. I still think it is. And we discovered one. So I was a part of a team. I was at the observatory when we collected the data. There's a there's an academic paper that my name is on it of the yeah. discovery of a new planet. I mean, and I know people who worked on that project for dec a decade, and that was the only planet they discovered. And I was there for two years, and I was also <laughs> part of it. So you, you kind of check that box, and you're like, you know, I've so I've been a part of publishing papers. Yeah. Now is it just about publishing more? It just was kind of burning me out a little bit. Yeah. And I saw my one of my brothers, especially, was a high school teacher, and I visited his classroom, and I'm like, boy, I can kind of see this, but it was really it was all about the relationship. It was like this. I knew this girl before we started dating. I, she was way out of my league. Yeah. She was exactly the kind of girl that I would is the kind of girl I wanted to marry and yeah. wanted to raise my kids and. And she was like a first grade teacher. It was so adorable. And yeah. So to me, it was it was like you know what this is more important than the dream, right? Yeah. Um. So I discovered that I could go back to school for one year and become a certified high school teacher. So I had the master's in astronomy, mm -hmm. and then I could become a high school physics teacher, um, which I, I grew to love physics because that's what I studied in anticipation of astronomy. Yeah. And also with the masters, I learned that I could teach at community colleges. And so I did spend some time teaching at Grand Valley and at Grand Rapids Community College and also at Calvin. So there was a semester. I even I still have the faculty tag. Yeah. <laughs> my name was on the office door. I think my car even still has the faculty sticker on yeah. it. So like the dream of teaching at Calvin actually did happen. It only happened for one semester, but... That's you know, cool. Again, it's I hate to say it because I'm not like a bucket list kind of guy, but it's you know it's another thing where it's like okay, check it off the list. You know, it's like once you do something, to just do it again and again, it's kind of like just a matter of degree. Mm -hmm. And I'd much I'm much more energized by accumulating new experiences, like just seeing something new, than I am about refining or making something. Yeah. Um, doing it again and again. Like I, I get the sense some people just love like knowing exactly what they have to do each day and doing it well. And yeah. that is, um, that's definitely not, I get bored really quick. Yeah. I, so I, I give out this questionnaire yeah. to you individuals in, in anticipation of this conversation. And I love the beginning of this, these responses. So I got to ask you what titles, role or certifications would you like to be introduced with online astronomy professor? Right. I dig that. But the quote that really got to me was this piece about what topics are important for you to cover. And <clears throat> I'm just going to quote, yeah. quote what you responded. Personally, I'm always interested in exploring this ongoing desire to do something new, interesting and significant. I feel like I've had a full life, even as a 36-year-old, but I'm always drawn to the possibility of something new and exciting. And then you follow that up with, I am intrigued. Oh, we talked we talked about how um, you're intrigued by the hero's journey conversation right, right. too um, because you think it's connected. Right. Talk to me about this, um, not a friction, but kind of you juxtapose two things in your life of you're, you're, you're following this passion of um, this giftedness you have and this intrigue towards the cosmos right and also kind of the accolades that come with that right publishing yeah yeah um beginning to be invited to speak at different right. areas right and and then wife well girlfriend yeah. then wife then family and and maybe wrestling or combining those two so yeah 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 and i think like uh this this was kind of 
fascinating to me. So I, I, I'm embarrassed by the fact that like the accolades mean something to me, right? Like mm. being in the news, like I, I, that feeds me in a way, right? Sure. Or, There's a healthy sense of, yeah. of ego that right. like, likes and need that. Right. And that's, a, yeah. Yeah. And that kind of drives me to try to think in creative and new ways. It's like, what would be something new that no one has done or what is right. a way to pursue, um, something that challenges myself, but not in the kind of like run a marathon kind of way that challenges yourself. Honestly, like, like just as an example, I look at that and I'm like thousands of people run marathons every year. Like what's, that's not unique. What, yeah. So let me come up with something that's really unique. Um, yeah, but the, that friction between pursuing something, I mean, I've been, I, I, I don't know what it is. I feel like super lucky or I, I just don't understand honestly, but for me, um, those, that idea of like, okay, being the dad who's present with the kids and with the wife and living near family, you know, being around for your parents and all that has been just in perfect alignment with pursuing, uh, the just kind of like crazy opportunities that come along. So, you know, here's an example of that. I was teaching high school and um, this was after we moved back to Michigan. We had we were teaching after we got married. We taught in Wisconsin for a few years. Sure. And um, we moved back to Michigan. This is 08. The economy's down. We're both teaching in different uh, parts of West Michigan. I'm at a school that's kind of a new school. It's a charter school, and it's just a terrible fit for me. It's like high needs students, and I didn't I didn't go into teaching because I like had a passion for you know you know working with inner city youth who don't want to learn or have right. had a terrible experience or just have had, you know, I've had a leg up my whole life and they haven't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even know how to talk about it. Right. All I know is I was standing there in freshman math cause I'm certified to teach math, trying to teach algebra. And I, I vividly remember sitting next to the student who was an, you know, they had immigrated. I think they were like refugee status and I'm doing like, you know, what is one minus three? Yeah. Um, which is, you need to know that to do algebra. And he's like, he's just looking at me like, I have no idea. Right. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what, I don't even, you, you're, you're like in third grade math. Yeah. And we're in high school. I don't know what to do. Yeah. For and, both of you, it seems yes. like you're trying to take a round peg. Oh yeah. And put it in a square hole. Right. And it's not right for either of you. No. And the atmosphere of the school was like, high standards, high bar. And if kids fail, kids fail. Mm. That was kind of the model of the Mm -hmm. school instead of like growth, you know, like, Hey man, um, I'm like, if these kids fail school, what's their option, right? If this kid can't pass algebra, his life is, I didn't, I'm the algebra teacher and I don't think (laughs) algebra is that important that this kid shouldn't get a high school diploma. Yeah. And that was just not the atmosphere of the school. So I was miserable and like getting almost like, yeah, I was getting stomach pains and Mm -hmm. it was just bad news. So that was the, I quit, I quit partway through the year, you know, I'm in the principal's office and he's like, you know, we'd like you to do this and this and that. And I'm like, I just don't want to be here anymore. (laughs) He was like, okay. That was the, that was like the only time that I like, I quit like in a sitting face to face with somebody. Yeah. And, um, okay. So that was a huge risk. My wife was pregnant with our first child Sure. and we didn't really know who was going to be home. Um, but it was right around the time that I started getting some opportunities, right? So I, I think about this friction, right? Like that could have been a decision that was really bad for our family. But yeah. it was right around the time that I had started getting some uh, opportunities based on my previous experience as a high school teacher. So I, those opportunities were doing some very early online teaching of AP physics. And then I actually had this this – uh, opportunity to work on a project for USA Today education. These were small, like I was maybe making five to 10 grand from these projects. Right. But it was enough that I thought, you know what, maybe I could be the stay at home dad and I could make a little money from home and you could keep working. Yeah. Dear wife. While I take care of <laughs> What do you child. think about that? Yeah. I was like, sorry, I quit my job today, honey. Um, but maybe I could be the stay-at-home parent or maybe I could work from home or whatever right and um, that was the spring but by the following fall when it was time to go back to school and our son was due in October I had enough work as a freelancer Mm -hmm. that I could say to my wife you know what I can buy health insurance 
and you can stay home mm -hmm. with the kid. So over that four months, this just like snowball of work just started coming, um, which was really exciting. So, so there's a few things flying around there. One is, one is like, uh, this tension of how like making what felt like a really scary decision to do something new to right. pursue actually provided for my family in like a really profound way right. that she could, I think she really did want to be home and she was able to do that. Um, the other piece is like, where did those opportunities come from? And like what I, what I've come to discover is like this weirdo combination of like, uh, the deep science knowledge yep. and the confidence that comes with that. And then like pursuing a totally different career, like the, the discord between my education and my career path, mm -hmm. like, like teaching high school with a master's in astronomy just opened up these crazy opportunities. But I also like the real secret sauce was I would always throw my hat in the ring. Like USA Today didn't just like search me out on, or they didn't just like find me on LinkedIn. I had applied for uh, a contest. Like my students did a contest and they, they knocked it out of the park. Okay. And so then USA Today was like, wow, who's this teacher? Mm -hmm. And maybe we could use him for this next project that we have. Okay. Um, and, and so and out of that, yeah. that classroom application process, USA Today offered you a project? Yeah, yeah. And, and how then long? I, it was like just a small, but it was like, hey, NASA hired us to, to create a project for students. We don't, all we're all English majors. We don't know anything about science. You're a physics teacher. Could you help us? Yeah. And it, now that I look back on it, it was $1,000. It was uh -huh. And I spent so much time. I mean, I just <laughs> like, I set a very ambitious goal of what I was going to do and because I was just so excited about yeah. it and they came back afterwards and they're like this is amazing and they're like can you be our web manager <laughs> they just like started giving me work yeah and I was like yes and that was right as I had left my job and I'm like this is working wow so um it was there's a phrase that I've heard which is work begets work mm -hmm. and that has just always been true in my case it's like one job leads to another job which leads to two more jobs mm -hmm especially when you're in that freelance world. It's interesting to, to see you in that place of, of being at the potential of the turning point. Mm -hmm. So I think about you going into class, you're putting on the tie, you're yeah. doing one minus three with <laughs> yeah. a child that you, the two of you are just having these challenges. Yeah. And your gut is wrenching. Yeah. It's telling you physically yeah. um, something's wrong here. And... I think there's a lot of people that stay in that for a long period yeah. of time. What what are some of the components that speak to you of something's got to change? Because I've been there myself. I worked. Well, I told some folks this in my last podcast that I had to step away from residential social work, right. where we would go in, and and I had a heart for it. I was passionate towards it. I was looking to be a father figure and a mentor figure yeah. to children who didn't otherwise have that. Yeah. And I loved it. But after 18 months, 24 months, yeah. something about me said, this is discord for my own mental yes. stability. Um, this is um, just not adding up for what I need. And I walked away and for, um, I think this was right around the holidays, took six or eight weeks off. Yeah. I maybe went on call with Wedgwood, yep. but I simply for the month of January and February coached an eighth grade basketball team. <laughs> yes. And I was, I was in heaven, right? Yeah. Of course, you know, my, my checkbook wasn't in heaven and I wasn't married at the time, yeah. so I didn't have as much, but it was the right move for the time. Yes. Where, what is, what is maybe some of the takeaways of how people get over that hump? and listen to their body, listen to their conscience to say, this is a scary move. Yeah. Um, it may not be what uh, society is telling us is the responsible move at the time. Yeah. But what is the underbelly of sticking to that uh, so-called responsibility piece? Oh, man. I, uh, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a big responsibility kind of guy. <laughs> I am like, man... You know, I'm the kind of guy, if you signed up for the team, you know, and you're hating being on the soccer team, yeah. you know, my sixth, say my sixth grader someday, yep. it's like, I want to quit the soccer team. I'd be like, you know what? Quit. Yep. Like why? You don't, you don't owe it to anybody to stay. Um, I know that's not what most people say, but 
to me, it, it certainly when you're feeling it physically mm-hmm. and emotionally, it's like, you know what, there's something going on here that I need to listen to. I think in my case, it was also tied a little bit to pride. It was like, I knew what I had accomplished yeah. as a teacher before when I was in the right environment. I mean, man, we were doing amazing things with my high school students yeah. at the previous school. And that was just being, not only did no one know about that, but it was just no, I saw that that was never going to happen at this new school. And it was like, so there was a, there's an element of pride. Like I'm better than this. I'm capable of more than this. Yeah. Um, boy, I will say like, it, it was the best move I ever made was quitting that job. It really was. Yeah. And I could have stayed out the rest of the year, but I don't, I think I would have lost a number of opportunities had I done that. The, the other piece that I, that seemed relevant to me, I was, I was out at, for Mexican food like a month ago with my daughter and I'm looking at this plate of rice on my plate and I'm, you know, I'm not eating the rice first usually, right? It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm usually eating like the quesadilla first yeah, yeah. and there's some rice there and I'm getting full and I'm thinking, but this is good and I want to eat it. Uh-huh. And then what occurred to me, and I, and there's an element of like, well, I paid for it, so I really should eat it. Mm. And this thought occurred to me, which had never occurred to me before, which is, which is so dumb, but it's like, there will always be more rice. Yeah. The world is not going to run out of rice. Mm. And if I want rice later, there will be rice later. <laughs> and, uh, I think about that with quitting a job too. It's like, it feels like it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There are enormous structures in place that you will be okay. You know, yeah. you will be okay. Um, it might be tight. It might be you're eating ramen or whatever, but yeah. it's like you will find a way and a new path. Mm-hmm. And chances are you just need to recover from this terrible experience. Of mm-hmm. But I do, I do think people feel held hostage, you know, in their work. Sometimes it's golden handcuffs that are keeping you yeah. there. You don't want to take the pay cut. But um, it was the best move I ever made for yeah. sure. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about that because, you know, I would say um, three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, um, even the fact that we are sitting down and we're creating a podcast yeah. and that I have I have a new application through Anchor that I can produce a podcast. Right. Seven years ago, I would not know where to begin. I yeah. would probably need to have um, found my own server capabilities. Right. I'd have to get an online forum. Um, even in 2005 or 2007 is when... Um, iTunes finally added podcasts. Is it that? So, well, so it's been about 10 years. Yeah. 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 But, um, podcasts have not had as big of a resurrection until really about two, three years ago where this uptick has happened to audio. Yeah. And I think there's a busyness to the American lifestyle where, you know, people will commute. And so, um, audio is not interactive. They can, they can casually listen while they're cleaning or driving, whatever. Um, tell me about that tech kind of arena because you're, you're passionate about the nature of work and how technology is changing it in terms of yeah. these capabilities and kind of this river that you found within yeah. your own work. So kind of enter us back into that path yeah, yeah. and what's opened up in the last three to four years. Yeah. So I, um, I often, so I, I am fascinated by how work works because, you know, for a decade now, um, I've been a totally remote uh, more or less freelance, uh, worker, you know, and making that change. If you look, if I were to go back to my high school teacher self and say, you will someday make three times what you're making right now and you'll do it from home working on your own schedule. (laughs) I'd be like, uh, why, you know, why am I doing that today? I wouldn't have (laughs) believed it. What, What amazes me though, is, is that I look back at pictures of my grandpa Okay, and like you can imagine this photograph of, of a, a, a man sitting at his desk at work, mm-hmm. right? A black and white picture. There's a, a desk table. All that's on it is a sheet, of, some sheets of paper and a telephone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, imagine if that's what you had to work with yeah. in a day. Some paper and a telephone. I'm like, what was he doing all day? Right. Right? And now here I am and, and I'm still working eight hours a day. Right. And what am I, I'm like getting done 10 months worth of work in a day Mm. because I'm shooting out 20 emails and I'm whatever. And where's the savings here? So like this fascinate, I'm kind of fascinated by like, okay, technology is making us all work so much more 
effectively, efficiently, we can get so much more done in a day. Um, and yet people are still working incredibly hard. And um, so I've, I, I'm really interested right now. I mean, so for the past two years or so, I have been, so <laughs> I have been a full-time part-time teacher. Okay. Right? So yeah. um, because I have a master's, I can be an adjunct professor and normally being an adjunct is like the worst job ever <laughs> right. because you have to drive to a school and you get paid like the, the national average is like $2,300 to teach a semester long course. Okay. That's three hours of lecture a week for usually 16 weeks. That's 36 hours of lecture, but there's all the preparation, trans, right. you know, getting there, grading, everything. It's insane, right? right? The hourly rate is not, is not good. And the biggest issue is adjuncts are limited to how many sections they can teach so that they don't get benefits right oh, so yeah. even if you wanted to teach or you know and the demand was there to teach they keep load, they want to keep you in this wheelhouse yeah. of all of the work not the benefits yeah yeah exactly yeah. so you're limited to maybe three or four sections so you're now adjuncts have to drive to four schools to make you know anything that they could live off of. sure but if you're an online teacher you can do that from home and you can start stacking schools and so um, that, because I have a lot of experience in building online courses and teaching online, uh, and I've been an adjunct for quite some time, I started exploring, well, how could I get some efficiencies here, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm an astronomy teacher, and just about every school in the country teaches astronomy. And um, if I had a really amazing astronomy class, mm -hmm. which I had been refining over several years, then why don't I teach that same class at a bunch of different schools. Yes. And so I, I don't know why that thought occurred to me, but it, it did one day. And I started searching for who's, who in the country wants to hire <laughs> astronomy professors, yeah. part-time, poorly paid astronomy professors. And there were a number of them. And so I applied, there were like five when I yeah. went. And so I applied and they all hired me because I, I have a good resume for online. I've been doing online a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so that's kind of been my world now is, is leaning on that efficiency, making a great course that, that, you know, students can go through at their own pace. Yep. So I'm there to answer their questions and there to provide some feedback, but really, um, you know, if a I might not hear from some students at all yeah. because they're flying through it yeah. and I'm spending my time with the ones who need the help. So I feel like I'm providing a really good learning experience, but, um, I'm, I, I'm freeing up a ton of time. Yeah. Like, so I'm, it's the first time as a freelancer, it was all about the project, right? It's like, okay, I got a project. This is going to take me a, a month. This one's going to take me two weeks. This one's going to take me mm -hmm. whatever. And you're just, it's almost like a contractor, like a builder, right? You're just kind of stacking your schedule, yep. making sure you've got enough work to keep you going. But this is a whole different, I feel like I've entered into just a whole nother kind of career that I didn't even know existed. Um, where, where it's like I, uh, it's almost like I am a property, I'm maintaining digital property. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And it's almost like I'm renting it out to yeah. these schools. Yeah, I remember yeah. when I sat down with you to lunch I, what, a, a year ago or so, and we had some good righteous cuisine. Yes. You introduced me to righteous. Uh, <laughs> was loaded. that your first time there? I think it was, because oh, wow. we were new to Grand Haven. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, you know, let's do lunch is what you said. And yeah. I said, well, I don't know a lot. And you're like, all right, you got to go to Rich's yeah. Cuisine. And, yeah. Uh, it was lights out. We, uh, <laughs> we haven't looked back since. Yeah. But uh, I remember you having this, that you were explaining this epiphany to me about replicating yeah. this one course that I'm doing yeah. and, and asking yourself, why can't I kind of create some multiplicity here? Yeah. You know, and so, and that's something that wasn't kind of available to you four or five, six years yeah. ago, right? It might have been. Like, I'm wondering if I just didn't see it, but it's... Um, but that's not known. No. That, I, mean, I mean, probably within the university career paths, yeah. for a lot of people, that is an option, and they see that. But um, when you're in career class yeah. as a sophomore oh, in, college, or no, in no. high school, I think the, the, the landscape is changing. Yeah. Or has And changed. there's no question that... Uh, Ten years ago, what I'm doing now, I don't think would would have worked the same way. Yeah. And I mean, I think about the 
the efficiencies that I'm able to leverage with just having a super organized Gmail set of filters, mm-hmm. right? Like that I can manage multiple communication streams using filters and and like labels in my Gmail account, or that I can use Google Drive to deliver content to multiple places while having one copy to maintain, mm-hmm. right? There's um. And I'm, I'm like wired for that. Like to me, finding the most efficient way to do something is like tremendously invigorating, <laughs> almost to a fault because yeah. I find myself now where I've like, I feel like I've uh, <laughs> sharpened this blade so much that it's almost cutting myself. It's so efficient sometimes that I've, I've made myself obsolete from, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, the mastering process is coming to, not that you're perfecting it, no, but no. that you've put so much work into how do I make this go as efficiently as possible? Yeah. Yeah. Which is at some point was kind of the goal was like, how do I remove my, you know, like if a student, here's an example, a student emails you a question and well, maybe let's say 10 students email you the same question. Okay. I can reply to that email 10 times. I can copy and paste my response. That's one step more efficient. Or maybe I can go in the course and I can cut it off before it even comes to a question, right? I can put a video in the course yeah. that addresses that issue, and now I don't get asked that question ever again. Mm. Now, you, you push repeat on that a few times, and you don't get very many emails. You know what I'm saying? And, and then you start, <laughs> to say, you start to say, what do I do with all this time? Yeah, yeah. And and now am I really a teach? Am I really teaching? Am I doing a good job? Because sure. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because you actually have put the effort into making this a better communication piece, right? Which makes it less challenging on you know this yeah. sweat equity that you right. put in and right. just punching the keyboard. Yeah, I think I need to bring you here for the 42 weddings we manage. Uh, <laughs> oh no! So I can have you deal with uh, brides and grooms and oh, mothers man. of the bride. But not, that is a piece of my own work that yeah. I say, oh, how can I, you know, because there's all these multiple questions that I get about 15 different weddings right. that could could be created into the literature and content right. that this could be avoided. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Well, and I've got a, a friend who, um, you know, it, it, a related issue is like, how are we rewarding, how are we being rewarded at work? Mm-hmm. You know, when we're compensated for a 40-hour work week, it... That, I don't know that I could ever take a job like that again. But I did briefly have a job in the past few years like that. Yep. Where my main source of contract work was like, we just want you on staff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. But it drove me insane because where's the incentive to like work hard and find ways to improve the efficiency of things? Yeah. And then who benefits when I do find that? So, I mean, so say I'm employed at 40-hour work week and I find this great innovation – that allows me to get the same amount of work done in half the time. Yes. Now what's going to happen? They're going to say, "Wow, what a great idea! Why don't you do four times as much work?" Yes. Right. And um, it's like I don't want to. You know, who's going to be the beneficiary of this technology? I'm not going to put work into gaining myself more work. Right. Exactly. And when you're going to an office, you really don't have a choice. Yeah. As a remote employee, you've got a little more choice. But I, I so I was remote, but I found myself almost like in this deceptive arena where it's like, well, it's not taking me this much time. I could be begging for more work. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated it. I, I really yeah. hated the notion that I had to like fake that I was working a full work week mm-hmm. when I just didn't need to, to get whatever done they wanted me to get done. And that really wasn't my fault. I felt like they just weren't giving me enough work. Yeah. So I feel like now I'm, I have the same problem, but I'm doing it for myself. Right. Which is, is really truly like I, I, I have time. I mean, I'm, we're sitting here. It's what time is it? <laughs> it's yeah, right. AM, right. Or whatever. We have some, and this is kind of like, I think what it means to live in the technology age, right? Sure. Is that we flex our work and our life in different ways. Yeah. And I just feel like I'm living on maybe an extreme of that. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I definitely look forward to, you know, seeing how that path transitions over the next five years. Yeah. I think it will continue to change and we'll continue to have to reevaluate um, what we do with what we call a 40-hour work week or, yeah. you know, changing that into a six-hour work week or, or right. how that and, – and how we transition towards better health for our – selves, yeah. our community, our families. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I'm realizing how much of life is built 
for that, right? I mean, the kids are in school for almost eight hours. Yeah. And, um, the way vacations are structured. And so it, it's getting my, my wife and I to just ask some hard questions about like, what should, if you could just, if you started with a blank piece of paper and you said, what should life look like Yeah. Um, for our family or for, those are hard. Most people don't have the luxury of even really asking the right, question. Right. But um, those are, not obvious questions to answer. And I think those are ones that we're kind of excited to think about yeah. how we can approach. Not, not that we don't have to work. I mean, you know, it's, there's still obligations and all that stuff, but it gets, I, I get lost thinking about those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as we transition, I, I always like to wrap up with a few brief questions, kind of a hot seat, not a hot seat. That seems like an interrogation room thing, <laughs> but uh, I like to wrap up with three very specific questions um, from your perspective, the first one being, and beginning with, uh, very intentionally, what's good? I like to begin with, and that's a challenging answer in this day and age as well. Yeah. What's good in the world that makes you come alive? Yeah. Those questions you asked, I saw them. They're hard questions. Yeah. So I, I look to nature. I mean, I think being an astronomer, I look to um, nature for... Uh, just real picture of goodness, um, and that is, I think, something I wrestle with because because um, there's death in nature and there is mm. rebirth in nature, and there are hard things. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a fascinating world, but I think it is. I think it remains a picture of good, and so I, I like looking to nature to try to understand. Um, yeah. What is, what, what was, how are things supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's easy. I see your head kind of going back and forth. <laughs> You're like, as I look at Lake Michigan, and right. there might be an eagle flying yeah, by. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what could be better? I don't like to talk necessarily about what's bad. There are definitely bad things in the world. But yeah. when we talk about what could be better, what needs mending or change in the world today that you are passionate about? Yeah, I didn't see that that I'm passionate about. Part. Well, I yeah. think about that a little you more. You could even stand the broad piece. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what could be better? Yeah, you know, I think. Um, I mean, my 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 broadest answer would be like people. Like I, I feel like I'm I have a, lu- a luxury of not being around like jerks very much. Yeah. And it always surprises me when I encounter someone who's just as like, like what the heck. <laughs> Like, why are you being so mean for something stupid? Sure. And it just is a reminder of, like, how angry sometimes people are. I mean, I know I'm angry sometimes, too. Of but course. Like, like um, so I feel like that anger, you know, I often, uh, I, there was a great passage I read, uh, Dallas Willard, who's, like, a, a little bit too deep for me, but he was talking mm. about Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it was like, let's assume that Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. Let's just start with that assumption. Mm-hmm. And he was the smartest dude and the greatest teacher. He started, after the Beatitudes, he started with anger. That was the very first thing. Okay. Like, do not be angry. And yeah. he's like, maybe there was a reason that yeah. that was before everything else. And I feel like that. There's that's spoken to me. Like, just, yeah, if people, uh, myself included, could get in control of some of their anger, mm-hmm. I wonder how much that would mm-hmm. make things better. Yeah, definitely. And that's intentional work, I think. There's something within our humanity that can very naturally be drawn to anger. Yeah. There, there's, it's at a root of, they do say, I think anger is often the second uh, emotion, right? That underneath that is oh, maybe right. a child of right. uh, a sadness, yeah. a hurt, um, a fear. Yeah. Um, but, but how we kind of translate that is, hmm. ah. yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. I see that in my kids. Oh yeah. See that in myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the wrap-up question. So we've got what's good. We've got what could be better. What's next? What's next for you? Where do you want to take this story of yours? What's next? There's so many ways to approach that. I, I am like actively wrestling with a, a fork in the road okay. that I perceive. And that fork is, is to sort of say this is good enough. And lean into what does life look like when you're content? Mm-hmm. And the other is, um, and you can convince yourself that either one is right. Even though I kind of know that being content is the right answer. 
But um, for me, I feel like that's the right answer. But uh, the other is until you get how, a, until you get a stomach ache. Yeah, until you get a stomach. <laughs> that's right. Um, the other one is how far can I take this? Yeah. How far can I go? Yeah. Um, and I don't know the answer to that right now. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That sounds like an okay place to be. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that's the wrestling match for a lot of people that are probably most people, but a lot of people in your shoes that are, um, there's a deep heritage. It sounds like within your family of, of finding that both and, yeah. um, you yeah. know, creating a heritage of parenting the family right. unit, love and, and goodness towards, towards wife and children, but also this sense of, I have been given this giftedness and I have right. accomplishments that are very good. Right. And, and where could I go next? Yeah. And, and, and how could I, uh, yeah. How could I take this and use it for good? So it's good. Yeah. In Thank the immediate you. future, by the way. Yeah. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. I just got an email yesterday. I get to audition for Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. Two weeks. Where do you go for something like that? <laughs> in a hotel in Indianapolis. My friends and I were just talking about Pat Sajak, and we're like, this guy has not aged. No. I think he's been at it for like. 35 or 40 it. years. It's unreal. And Vanna's even better yeah. looking than him. Hey, they just keep it going. Awesome. Let's see what I can do. That's what's next. Just don't end up on the Wheel of Fortune like um, bad responses <laughs> YouTube 10-minute clip where Sajak's like, uh, not the answer. <laughs> There's a part of, as I'm watching it, I'm like, you know, the best case scenario is you earn like, you, you make 20000 Totally. Wouldn't it be and, and you could and the an chances escalate. and the chances of that happening are not great. You know what I mean? Like you have I mean, you have to be a pretty awesome player, you gotta win. I could if I can get on the show, I can guarantee getting on that worst of Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. If I just super intentionally blow Totally. And which is better? You know, in twenty years, would I rather be the guy who Got a trip to the Bahamas. And one of a hundred people right? that ah he won. Or would I rather be the guy Who's like, dude, did you see that guy? <laughs> He's in the top five from 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm the kind of guy, that's not an obvious choice. Uh, like I, would, I think I'd rather be on the worst of, there just was, to stand out. <laughs> I saw one where it was supposed to be like barreling down the road, and this person was like burrowing down the road, and Sajak like pulls from his collar of his shirt. <laughs> Uh, next person, please. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, outside of Wheel of Fortune in six yes. months, uh, where can people find you? I kind of blew this oh, on my yeah. last one. Uh, if we can get some new contracts out of this, oh, or, right. or just, you know, people are interested in following up with you. Is there yeah. a place they can find you? If you Google my name, uh, you will find a website that I have that has my phone number and email address. Yeah. It's agl-initiatives.org, which I just keep up as like a portfolio. Yeah. That would be the spot, probably. Awesome. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, find Andrew Fandenhuvel on the next episode of Wheel of Fortune or at those connections, and we'll put a few uh, pieces on um, the show notes for that as well. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, this has been you. a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. And uh, I look forward to more. Sounds good. All right, man. Take See care. Ya. We're shaking hands right now. <laughs>